0: It's time now for The Complete Story with Rich Bot, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich Bot with today's Complete Story. Friends, you know we live in strategic times, and uh, what a blessing it is to have our special guest on today's Complete Story broadcast. You know him as the host of the Running to Win broadcast heard each day here on Bot Radio Network. Uh, For 36 years, the senior pastor of the historic Moody Church, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, is now the pastor emeritus, and that means he gets to travel the country, indeed travel the world, uh, uh, representing Moody Church, also representing our Lord Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel. And uh, he just got back from Europe. And uh, we're going to have a chance to talk to him about what's happening over there with the church in Europe and what that means for
1: the church here in the United States. But Dr. Lutzer, welcome to BOT Radio Network. So glad to be with you, Rich. And uh, thank God, by the way, for our partnership. Many people listen to Running to Win on the BOT Network, and we're very grateful that we can do that.
0: Yes. And uh, well, now tell us about uh, what happened while you were over in
1: Europe. What was the occasion that took you to Europe? I was actually teaching uh, a seminar in Strasbourg, France, and uh, it's because Dr. Montgomery, Dr. John Work Montgomery, who's who's a noted Lutheran scholar, who impacted my life in certain ways many, many years ago, invited me to be there. And uh, so the students were primarily Lutheran pastors, and they would be conservative Lutheran pastors. So we had a great time. And... uh, We hope that the communication with them was profitable. I spoke on apologetics, which is really a defense of the Christian faith. And then I also had world religions and cults. Now, all of that in one week, of course, I had to just simply give a survey. But at the end of the day, what we were trying to do is to equip these pastors and some others who were in the class on uh, confronting the culture. We had discussions on the role of the church. Sometimes we don't totally agree on the role of the church, but uh, many of these pastors, by the way, were from the United States, so they represented the Missouri Synod, and uh, we had a wonderful time talking about the United States and Europe. And the Missouri Synod, and that's where they have the uh, the Lutheran Hour with Dr. Greg Seltz as the
0: speaker from St. Louis, and uh, we're, we're glad to broadcast their program also on Bot Radio Network, so many of them were over there as well. Now, now the... The the, the state of the church, you said that uh, a large congregation over there of uh, the
1: Bible-believing Christians would be maybe 200 people. Yeah, you know, we did talk to some of the people who live right there in Strasbourg and other parts of Europe. And indeed, the church is very small. I have to say that generally, the church has been totally absorbed by the culture. You know, I've written a book on the Reformation, and I know we're going to get into that because it's the 500th anniversary, but many years ago, I was leading a tour to the sites of the Reformation, as I did a month ago, and I was in the church in Wittenberg where Luther nailed his 95 Mm -hmm. theses. And there was a German service. 500 years ago. 500 years ago, this October 31st. So. They had a German service, and because I understand German, particularly German from the Bible, because my parents read to us from the German Bible, I stayed. The pastor read from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Quran, and said, here we honor all three of the world's great religions. Now, that's where Luther is buried. Now, that's the state of the church in Germany. Very liberal.
0: You mean really he was
1: honoring the
0: Quran and Islam just feet away from Luther is buried beneath the floor. That's
1: right. Luther is beneath the floor, and I think his body wiggled. But here's the thing. The church has been totally absorbed by the culture, and Rich, there's a lesson here. The church no longer has anything to say to the culture. Mm -hmm. If you're totally absorbed by it, what do you have to say? If you approve same-sex marriage and you are also uh, you know, uh, in in uh, league with Islam, what do you have to say to the culture? So most of the churches in Europe are very, you have these huge cathedrals. We've, we've been in some of them. And on a Sunday morning, you know, they get maybe a hundred people and this cathedral would hold thousands of people. So the church has simply wimped out in the pressure of culture.
0: Now, speaking about uh, giving in to culture, there was a uh, fairly uh, noteworthy a Christian author recently that came out and said some very unsettling things about the uh, nature of homosexuality and, and same-sex marriage and so forth. And somebody in response to that said, well, the, this homosexual issue is very messy and difficult. And then I read something this morning where a pastor said, no, it's just simply sin, and we need to be able to discuss it, define it, and help people become redeemed from it, because it's one of the sins for which Christ died.
1: Exactly. And I see the church in America, now we're coming to America, but we're learning from the church in Europe, facing three huge hurdles. One has to do with the homosexual same-sex issue, and that, of course, is there's pressure on us to capitulate there, and you're absolutely right. I agree with the pastor whom you were reading this morning. And then the second is Islam, submission Mm -hmm. to Islam, and we can talk about that and uh, then, and by the way, in the next program, Rich, I think we will be speaking about that. And uh, so submission to Islam, and then the whole craze towards spirituality without doctrine, where people follow various mystical teachers, and they follow these teachers, and sometimes evangelicals follow the, uh, these teachers, where there is basically no gospel. It's very introspective but is supposed to lead you to some kind of a new reality.
0: Now, your broadcast running to win. Uh this uh this talk about doctrine and theology and and uh the state of the church and everything that's really all background and is important foundation for for living the Christian life and and winning in this in this race.
1: How how do you see the Christian should live in times like these? Well, you know, that's a really long story, and of course, winning to, running to win, you know, our tagline is helping you all the way to the finish line, yes. because someday we are going to—the race on earth will be over, as we all know. But uh, what we need to do is to have Christians who have courage, who have convictions. I, I think, for example, of Luther at the Diet of Orms when he stood there and he made that very famous declaration that everyone listening should know by memory— when he said, My conscience, he said, I will not and I cannot recant. To go against conscience is neither right or safe. He said, My conscience is taken captive by the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. So help me God. Amen. Here ich, ich kann nicht anderes. Here I stand, I can do no other. Notice what he says My conscience is captive to the word of God. What we need is parents whose consciences are captive to the word of God. My daughter asked me the other day, how does truth die? What she meant was, how do you go from one generation to another, losing the momentum of the church in, in each generation, which has happened in Europe and I think to some extent in America. Unless parents intentionally motivate their children and commit their children and teach their children and train their children so that the faith is passed on is not going to be passed on. And the church can help in this process or the church can hurt. And most churches are doing one or the other. And training is more than just teaching and telling, isn't it? Exactly. You know, we've told people this, we've told them that, but unless they are trained. Training means that you instruct the people, and then you take them out into the world where they can apply what they have learned, and then you come back and you analyze, and you're very serious about training. You know, we've all listened to lectures that we forget. Your dad said something very interesting. He said that when somebody trains to be a pilot, he doesn't just listen to lectures. At some point, he has to get into that cockpit and figure out what to do. Uh, All the lectures in the world, and you'll never learn to fly.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, our guest today on Complete Story is Dr. Irwin Lutzer, the pastor emeritus of the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, a senior pastor for 36 years. My goodness, that is a that is a long obedience in the same direction. What What are some of the keys to being successful in the pulpit?
1: Well, you know, that, that really, I think, is a multifaceted question. I think that there has to be a, a sense of harmony and trust between the pastor and the congregation. And there has to be a fit. I always say that um, being the pastor of a church is something like marriage, except the divorce is allowable. But sometimes you have a pastor who doesn't fit the congregation, or the congregation doesn't fit him. In my case, I think that my gifting and my training met the expectations of the congregation, so they were able to um, continue their support of the ministry. And by the way, I could have stayed on, but I knew that I was getting to the point where I wanted to do ministry outside the church while I still had some rubber on the tires, to use mm-hmm. an expression. And so, you know, there has to be that fit. And um, and then the other thing is regarding preaching the Bible. yes. Believe it or not, after 36 years, and I think I did something like about a 100 series of messages. I never counted them, but somebody else did. And I never ran out of ideas. And uh, I wouldn't always preach through books, though I did that. I would do series like uh, Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible, which eventually became Mm -hmm. a book, or Ten Lies About God. Each message was an expository message. But it was held together by the larger theme, and so um, when you preach that way, and you trust God to give you ideas and material, somehow He comes through.
0: And as you preach the Word of God, it's the living Word that does that does the work, really, isn't it true? Like you, you just um, you don't have to defend the lion; you just let the lion out of the
1: cage. Yes, that's true, although sometimes the lions do need some defense. I mean, we need to give reasons for the hope that is within us. Yes. But at the end of the day, it is the Word of God, and that, of course, was very seminal and very important to Martin Luther. Uh, you know, he made the remark, he said, the Word did it all. He said, I did nothing. That, of course, isn't true. I mean, I don't know how he wrote as many books as he did. And, but he said, I did nothing. He said, the Word did it all. And at the end of the day, the Word does it all.
0: Hmm. And one of the uh,
1: primary thoughts
0: that came out of the Reformation is the idea of sola scriptura. Tell
1: us about that. That exactly is the dividing line between Catholics and Protestants, is sola scriptura. When Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the castle church door, he entered into a number of different debates and uh, they would be they would be having debates about whether or not you should pray to Mary or whether or not you know indulgences should be sold, etc. And uh, Luther would come back to is it in the Word of God? And this sola scriptura meant that he cut out prayers to the saints, purgatory, and a number of other doctrines which had their basis in tradition throughout the centuries. The traditions would accumulate rather than the Word of God. And that, of course, is one of the solas, Hmm. uh, sola scriptura. And there are others, sola gratia, and then, very importantly, sola fide, faith alone. So these are the solas of the Reformation.
0: And when he was being interrogated by this tribunal on these matters, he said, unless you can convince
1: me from the Word of God, I can't recant. And the reason that he said that is he added the fact that Indeed, uh, popes and councils contradict each other, and uh, you can't go by them. And so he was trying to force people to say that the Word of God is our only basis for theology, and he was holding to that, and that's why he separated from the church of his day.
0: Now, people say if you don't learn from history, you're forced to repeat it. Do you see some of these same conflicts uh, today?
1: Yes, certainly in that area, but in a lot of other areas, too. I really do think that um, you're right. I don't think that we learn from history. We don't want to learn from history. We could begin to talk about Islam. You know, it, We're not learning from the way Islam has uh, used the sword and used all kinds of means of torture to advance its agenda. So we are in a situation where... We're just not learning. We don't see all of the red flags along the way. And that's why when you get to Europe, the church has totally capitulated.
0: Now is this in your
1: book, Rescuing the Gospel? The, Which it, is a wonderful title, by the way. I want you to tell
0: us about the title as well.
1: Yes, you know, as I excuse me, as I was thinking about the Reformation. Actually my wife came up with a title. I wanted another title and she said nobody's gonna buy the book if that's the title. <laughs> Wives can be very direct, and she was working in the garden, and then 10 minutes later she said, you should call it Rescuing the Gospel. So the reason I called it that is Luther was rescuing the gospel from all kinds of traditions and all of these ideas which surrounded medieval uh, theology and the medieval church, and, uh, and a lot of superstitions, all kinds of superstitions. So what was Luther doing? He was rescuing the gospel. And I might say, regarding that book, that it has been widely received, both by Lutherans, of course, but also by evangelicals, especially on this year of the 500th anniversary, of the Protestant Reformation. That book does not deal directly with what Luther's view is of Islam, uh, but um, I have given lectures, even in France, on Luther's view of Islam, and maybe we can talk about that. Yes, tell us about the about the historical context
0: in which all of this took place 500 years ago, because Islam was
1: an issue back then too. Yes, it was, but when the Reformation began, Luther was basically focused on the corruption of the church. The fact that the pre- in the previous century there had been at one time three popes all calling one another Antichrist, all raising funds to fight the other. And then you have a resolution of that finally. But the corruption in the church continued. And especially what really sparked it was, of course, the sale of indulgences. Now here's what happened. Leo, Pope Leo in Rome needed money to finish St. Peter's Basilica. Uh, the... Uh, beams of the building that you see on television had already been laid, but it was lying there unfinished. A previous pope by the name of Julius had done that. And so what Luther did was, excuse me, what happened is the pope needed money. So he began the sale of indulgences. It's kind of a complicated story, but at the end of the day, this was to raise money for St. Peter's Basilica. Now, But, but explain what
0: indulgences yeah. mean, because there
1: was a rhyme
0: that went with uh, about the coin, yeah. when it hits the cup, it rings a soul to heaven <laughs> oh, springs right. or something like that.
1: An indulgence was the church's taking away the temporal consequences of sin. Ultimately, only God could forgive, but you needed to be punished because of your sin. You know, you couldn't just come to God and get scot-free forgiveness the church needed some indication that you were serious. So you uh, could do a good work, maybe the priest would ask you to do that, or even better, you could pay some money and you would get a document. And when I was in Europe a month ago, I actually saw in a museum, it's the first time I saw it, but there in Wittenberg, an ancient indulgence that was printed on the printing press. This indulgence meant that you would be exempt from all temporal penalties. Now, the Church still gives those out, the Catholic Church. Uh, Pope Francis and so forth, when he travels, says you can get a plenary indulgence, a complete indulgence, if you follow me on Twitter or some social network. You can find that out. I quoted in my book and footnote it. So the point is that these indulgences were being sold And some of the people in Wittenberg crossed the river. They brought them back, and they said that they even had indulgences for sins they had not yet committed but planned to commit. And this is what got Luther angry. With reference to Tetzel, he was the most famous of the vendors. But but couldn't they
0: also make a donation to um, free uh, into heaven a, 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 a previously departed
1: loved one? And that is the new wrinkle. Indulgences were sold in the past, but now they could be bought not only for the living, but also for the dead. So Tetzel, and we'll get to your rhyme in a moment, uh-huh. he would come to a town square. He'd bring a, 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 a cross and say, this cross has the same value as the cross of Christ. And then he would begin his sermon. Hear ye, you have a mother who's in purgatory. And she's saying, but for a few pence you could buy me out. How hard-hearted are you? Well, that was one way to really raise money. And then he had the jingle, As soon as the coin hits the chest, another soul flies to its heavenly rest. So that's what made Luther so angry. And when he wrote the 95 theses uh, and posted them on the door on October the 31st, way back in 1517, 500 years ago, this coming October, when he wrote those theses, they were against indulgences He was not planning to leave the church by no means. He was thinking that he would just clean up the abuses. But as he began to study the Bible and continued, and it came to saving faith in Christ. And that's what it means to be a reformer, right? Exactly. And he said the church always needs reformation, by the way. Today's church needs reformation. So as he began to study the Bible and personally, came to understand that salvation is not by works. You know, he, he struggled with what is known in German as Anfechtungen, that is to say a sense of despair, a sense of guilt and alienation from God, and he did everything that the church required to get rid of that. I mean, you know, he fasted, he slept on a floor without blankets, he, he did all these things and could not find peace. When he discovered in the book of Romans that we are justified by faith, and that the righteousness of God, he said at first he hated God. He was so righteous. He was so holy. If he wasn't so holy, he would be easier to please. But then he discovered that there's a righteousness of God which is given as a free gift to those who receive it by faith. Now think of what that meant for Luther. It didn't matter now how high God's standard was. He didn't have to meet it. Christ met that standard for him. And uh, so now he was free. And now he could say that my sins don't belong to me. They belong to Jesus.
0: Isn't that something? I heard someone once say, yes, it's free,
1: but it's also priceless. It's priceless because God had to buy it. Yes. You know, in other words. free to us. Free to us, but very costly to God, And uh, which is the nature always of forgiveness, by the way. You know, you've been hurt by someone and... You may offer forgiveness freely, but you, you absorb the cost.
0: So is this material in your book, oh, Rescuing yes, the Gospel? Absolutely. And this just isn't about history, but it's also oh, very relevant for today, isn't it?
1: That's why the subtitle, you know, the book is uh, Rescuing the Gospel. The subtitle is The Story and the Relevance of the Reformation. Mm-hmm. So what I did, that whole story that I just told you, is told in the book. And uh, humility aside for a moment, but uh-huh. it's told in such a way I write for the common person who does not have a background. You know, there are books on Luther today, four or five hundred pages. The average person isn't going to read that. So I try to make it understandable and accessible uh, to the common person.
0: And uh, Dr. Greg Seltz from The Lutheran Hour uh, wrote an endorsement for your book as well. Uh, the, the
1: Rescuing the Gospel, where can people get this book? Well, they can go to moodymedia.org, moodymedia.org. Of course, it's all also available online. Uh, it's available through Amazon and so forth, bookstores May carry Christian it. Christian bookstores, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, in this way, they can uh, access it. And the most gratifying thing is that I actually met people on the tour and elsewhere who are reading it because it is—if you're ever going to learn anything about the Reformation and anything about Luther— as well as his dark sides and, you know, there are parts of Luther. Roman, our Roman Catholic friends often point out all of the negative things about Luther, and there are some, but we focus on the positive because he recovered a gospel that was lost amid superstition, tradition, and um, a doctrine of works. And so that's why we honor him, even though we are not Lutheran.
0: Now, the 500th anniversary comes up on, did you say, October 31st? That's right. And it's October 31st every year. That's the anniversary. He did this on October 31st. Is there something significant about that? And and, and is there a connection
1: with Halloween? Yes, there was uh, what was known as All Saints Day it was November the 1st. Not sure exactly whether or not it connects with Halloween, but it does connect with a feast All Saints Day, when there were relics that were on display in the castle church, I think 19,000, some kind of... The castle uh, church, that Wittenberg? The castle church, where he he nailed his 95 theses. And there's the Wittenberg door, wasn't it? Right. Well, in Wittenberg. And those were on display on November the 1st. So it makes sense, since that was All Saints Day, a time when you admire the saints and give a gift, it would make sense that he would post his thesis, which he only meant for debate, by the way. Mm-hmm. They were written in Latin, but somebody translated them into German. The printing press had been invented. Pretty soon it's all throughout Germany, and all of the Germans are saying, Ja vol, it's about time. Hmm. And there's 95 of them. That's a lot. Some of them are somewhat repetitious, but I'm thinking I don't have any before me here, but I'm going to guess that number 35 says something like this. If the Pope is able to open Purgatory and uh, alleviate the suffering of the saints, why doesn't he do it for love rather than being having to be paid for it? So these are the kinds of things. They're that questions. He, uh, questions he he put forward, and uh, people read them and said, "Yeah, that makes sense."
0: Now, um, I just want to. Mention this for the benefit of our listeners. If you would like to hear Dr. Erwin Lutzer preach at the Moody Church, you're going to be back in the pulpit there
1: on that Sunday. Tell us about that. It's actually, I think, the 29th. The 29th. uh, Because uh, the um, 31st this year is a Tuesday. So that's Sunday just before. Right. That's the 29th of October. I'm going to be speaking on the Reformation. In the morning, I speak on the Reformation. Luther's Reformation. In the evening, I'm going to talk about rescuing the gospel in America, and I'll talk about five different ways that the gospel is being distorted in evangelical churches. So you can come to Chicago for the whole day. How about making it a a family time? Bring your family, and uh, that'll be in the morning service, Moody Church, when I'll be speaking on the Reformation.
0: And then will that be included on the Moody Church Hour that we still broadcast on BOT Radio Network? Oh, yes,
1: I'm sure. I'm sure. And also throughout the week, that week, uh, we've already done some programs where the emphasis will be on the Reformation the last week of October.
0: Our guest on today's Complete Story program is Dr. Erwin Lutzer, the pastor emeritus of the Moody Church, and for 36 years, the senior pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, and of course, course, the host of the radio broadcast, Running to Win, heard here on BOT Radio Network, and also the author of many, many books, including one, The King is Coming, and then Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible. That's about apologetics. That's very important. And then One Minute after you die you know there's a lot of books movies about people maybe that went to heaven what they saw but this is what the bible has to say about what you will
1: experience one minute after you die can you touch yeah, on that absolutely. just for a minute you know that book has blessed so many people i remember receiving a letter from a widow who said i keep it at my nightstand and when i can't sleep i keep rereading it because the book talks about heaven as far as we know what that's going to be like. One minute after you die, you meet Jesus, but what else happens? Mm -hmm. I discuss questions like, um, you know, your husband dies. Does he remember you? Well, obviously he does. He's not going to Mm -hmm. know less in heaven than he does on earth. So these are the kinds of questions. The Lord has really used that book to bless people, to challenge people, and to lead people to saving faith in Jesus Christ, because it also has a chapter on hell.
0: Another very important book here, When a Nation Forgets God. And we have that sense that America is beginning to forget God in, in our day, and there are many examples of
1: what happens to other nations when they forget God. As a matter of fact, that's based on Nazi Germany. You know, I wrote a book entitled Hitler's Cross. And I also wrote this book. You don't need to have read one in order to have read the other. They stand on their own feet independently. But one is entitled Hitler's Cross, and the other is Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany. When a Nation Forgets God, that's the actual title. I gave you the subtitle here. When a Nation Forgets God, uh, what is that like? What does that have to do with law? You know, Hitler was the lawgiver. And um, that's why there's so much controversy when a new Supreme Court justice is elected, because show me your laws, I will show you your God. So those are the kinds of issues discussed in that book.
0: And then your most recent book, Rescuing the Gospel, and that's what we've been talking about today. God bless you, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Thank you for being with us today on The Complete Story, and thank you for your broadcast ministry, Running to Win. One of the things that I like most about your broadcast is at the end of the program when you have a little bit of a question and answer time, and you always do such a wonderful job, very biblical and very compassionate at the same time answering difficult questions that people are going
1: through. Thanks, Rich. Great to be with you.
0: All right, folks, this is Rich Bot on today's chapter of the Complete Story program with Dr. Erwin Lutzer from Running to Win. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.